And this is a series looking at the fundamental character of God. And um, next week we're getting into a series called Love Revealed, and we're going to look at the Christmas story through that lens, some Old Testament stuff. I'm excited about that. But, but this week we're closing out our series, and today we're looking at how God is transformative, how God actually changes things in your life. God actually changes who you are as a person. In fact, that is what he is in the core business of doing. And so this morning I wanted to start by telling you a story. Um, a number of years ago, uh, I had a college student here. I mean, this is a number of years ago. And um, he had had this dramatic conversion to follow Jesus. And, and um, Pastor Gordon at the time suggested that I sit down with him. I didn't know him at the time. He, he introduced me to him. And so I sat down with him and found out that um, he had been in jail. I mean, you, you just the whole story. He'd been in jail. He had had a substance abuse issue. He had had multiple girlfriends. He just had some issues, this guy. But he had this dramatic conversion experience. And so I sat down with him. And we went to, um, we went to, uh, to lunch together. I remember sitting down there with him in and out. And he wanted to share his faith with all his friends and family. And I said, dude, that is exciting. That is awesome that you want to do this. And I said, but I do want to caution you a little bit. I don't want to, like, kill any of the fire that you have, but I want to caution you about one thing. And he said, well, what's, what's that that you want to caution me about? I said, the thing that I want to caution you about is that when you become a new believer, one of the things that's really important is discipleship. It's growing in the character of Jesus. Because if you don't do that, then it's really easy to just fall right back into your old stuff again. And I don't want to see that. Do you want to see that for you? No, no, no. I don't want to go to jail again. I don't want to have drug charges again. I don't want to have these all, you know, issues again with, with women. I, I want to be a better person. I said, awesome. Because unless you, you do that, unless you grow in discipleship, then, then Satan will really come after you in he'll have an easy target. And I don't want him to have an easy target. Do you want him? Oh, no, 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 I don't want that at all. And um, so we set up a few times to meet, to grow in discipleship, and, and he never showed up. And I didn't know where he went, and I didn't know what happened. And it turns out by the time that I met up with him to the time we were supposed to meet a couple weeks later, he got, went back in jail. And those things that I told him would happen, happened. And because he didn't begin to center his life on Jesus, he mentally converted. He knew who Jesus was. He was excited about who Jesus was. He knew in his heart. But his old habits still hung out with him. And how many times has that happened to us, right? We know the right thing to do. We know who Jesus is. We know the right steps. We know the right moves. But these old habits keep pulling us back. This happens so many times. One of the things that we've been hitting on in this series is false stories that we tell ourselves, false narratives that we tell ourselves. Stories are really important in our lives. Stories in our lives sort of, we have this kind of like ongoing dialogue. It's almost like, remember the show The Wonder Years? Yes, I mean, like there's this internal monologue happening all the time, you know, for Kevin Arnold. I just, I grew up with that show. Anybody else? Okay. You know, you have these like internal monologue moments. That's what a story is. You have this kind of internal story that, that keeps going over and over and over again. How do you identify? Who are you as a person? What, what's really going on in there? 
And so we have these false stories. And, and one of the false stories we begin to tell ourselves is this. Even after conversion, the story is this. Well, I'm always a sinner. Always going to be a sinner. So, in other words, it becomes a lot easier to fall right back in to that sin story when we begin to tell ourselves those stories. When the New Testament actually teaches that when you're in Christ, you're a new creation. The New Testament actually teaches that when you're in Christ, when you've given yourself over to Jesus, that you're a saint, not a sinner. And so when we keep calling ourselves that, and we keep making allowances for ourselves, it's no wonder that we always fall back into that. Maybe this has been your story. You've been frustrated with your own actions. You've been frustrated with your own story. And today, this is what I want to hit on. So if you have your Bibles, flip with me to Romans chapter 6. And we're going to dig into this um, idea of sinner versus saint a little bit more. Romans 6, verses 1 through 14. And I just want to, I just want to read um, all of it because it's so good. I just want to read it all. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or do you know that all of us who were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, um, into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we may too be raised to a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that our body, the, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with. That's a really important line. The body ruled by sin might be done away with that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. I mean, if, you, if I, I've got this underlined in my Bible. If, if you have your Bibles out, I would underline the snot out of that line right there. Now, if we died with Christ, by the way, I'm a big fan of writing in your Bible. I think it's really important. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once and for all. For the, but once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, so that you obey. So that uh, I'm sorry. Don't let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourselves to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and then offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of his righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master, because you are not under the law, you are under grace." For those who have accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, they are no longer considered sinners. God looks at you as saints. We have to understand the fundamental difference in the way God looks at us. We might still say, I'm a horrible sinner. I've done this stuff. I've done that. But by the grace of God, that's how the story always ends. 
But by the grace of God, I've become something new. In 1 Corinthians 6, we have this whole passage. Don't you know that, that these people, the evil, the wicked, the idolaters, the greedy, the homosexual, the slandered, the blah, 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 do not enter the kingdom of God? And then it says, but that's what some of you were. You were washed. You were cleansed. You were made new. That's got to be our story. Sure, we have some of that baggage, but that no longer defines us. And that's the point with this statement that I'm trying to say. The fact that you used to be a sinner should not define your walk in Christ right now. The, the fact that you used to be a sinner should be an old, distant memory. And the fact that you're a saint now, the way God sees you as a saint in his kingdom, is entirely different. Working towards perfection. That doesn't mean you'll be a perfect person, Right? But working towards Christian perfection, what does that mean? It means you lose the desire for that old life of sin. It means that the stuff that you used to do, you no longer want to do. I read this book to my kids um, all the time. It's called The Pig and the Sheep. I love The Pig and the Sheep. The story is about this little pig who, who um, it's, it's actually a book for discipleship for kids, um, it's, it's a story about this little pig who loves playing in the mud. He loves eating his slops. He loves doing wagon races. And this pig just can't fathom a life without doing that. And, but in the distance, he sees this shepherd with his sheep. And, and there's something about the freedom there that that pig wants. The pig wants to go with, the, with the, the shepherd. The pig wants to go with the sheep. And he even verbalizes that, man, I wish I could go over there sometime. And one day, the, sh- the, the shepherd comes up to the pig and says, would you like to join me? And, and the pig says, yes, that would be my biggest desire. And he said, but you have to become a sheep. You can't stay a pig any longer. You have to become a sheep. And the pig says, well, how do I do that? And he says, well, I've got to give you a sheep's heart. And so there's this really cute scene in the book where the pig gets a heart transplant, and they put the, the heart of the good shepherd, the heart of the sheep, into his, into his chest. And the pig actually grows tufts of wool and begins to look like a sheep. He still has the frame of a pig, but he begins to look like a sheep. And one day his friends invite him back. And the pig goes back and he plays. And he's like, man, one more day of eating the slops and playing in the mud, that sounds great. And he does all that stuff. And then the pig goes, how can I ever go back? How can the shepherd ever love me again after what I've done? And you know what? It wasn't even that good. The mud wasn't as good as it used to be. The slops weren't as tasty as they used to be. It just wasn't that good. And the good shepherd brings the pig back and washes him and cleanses him. And it's this beautiful story of transformation that I try and convey to my kids. That it's this process of transformation that God wants for us. So when we accept Jesus as our Savior, when we understand Romans 6... When we accept Jesus as our Savior, the next fill in the blank is we die with him so that we could be raised with him. And I want you to get this point out of Romans 6, verses 3 through 6 of this. Or don't you know that you were all baptized into Christ Jesus? You were baptized into his death. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in death, a death like his, we certainly will also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we, might, that we should not be slaves to sin, 
Because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. The idea here in Romans 6 is that we actually die to our old selves. This is what Paul is talking about. He's talking about how Jesus died and therefore we have to die with him. In other words, that old part of us that loves sin, that old part of us that liked to do our own thing, that old part of us that loved our own selfishness needs to die and be given away to the Father. Needs to die with Jesus on the cross. We need to nail that up there with him so that we can begin to take on our new nature because God is a creative God, right? I mean, that's why we have this earth and how good it is. God is a creative God and he wants to recreate you into a brand new person. I said this before and I'll say it again. I don't know how many times at youth camp you, you hear this story. I've, I've had the distinct privilege of speaking at a few youth camps that are not from our church and being able to go to different places around California. And, and one of the camps I was speaking at, there was this kid who was just like, I don't know why I keep doing this. I, I need forgiveness. And, and he started telling me this story about how he just over and over and over again, how he comes every year. And this is a common youth camp story, by the way. And I said, you don't need forgiveness. You don't need a pardon from sin. That's not what you need. What you need is a miracle. You need to stop asking for forgiveness from the same old junk because what you're doing is you're trying to say, would you just tell me it's okay this time? No. You need a miracle. You need to lay your life down and you need to ask God to break the power that sin has over your life so that you could begin the process of transformation. Because what you've done is you've agreed with God for all these years and then you come back and you're reminded of that, oh yeah, I agree with God, yeah, God, this is the right way to go. And then you come back again and you go, oh yeah, this is the right way to go. But you haven't made any significant changes in your own life. And so you need to lay that down and begin to walk with God. You need to pray for a miracle in that regard. Essentially, you need to die to yourself. This argument that Paul is making is that when you say yes to Jesus, you are defeating sin and you're actually experiencing new life. You're beginning to experience that. Many of you have begun to experience that. One of the things I like to ask is, what changes have you seen in yourself? I'm not as angry anymore, or I'm not as selfish anymore. I'm not as hurtful anymore. I don't say some of the things. I'm a lot more gentle. You begin hearing that all over the place, and I've heard that a lot this year at this church, and it's just been phenomenal to hear some of that because when God recreates you, he begins to take out some of that old junk. He's doing work on your heart. So if we really believe what this says, what Romans 6, 5 through 7 says, where it says our old selves were crucified with Christ, that the body that was ruled by sin should be done away with, and that we begin to be set free from sin, if we really believe that, then why on earth would we identify ourselves as, oh, I'm always going to be a sinner, right? If we agreed with that with our whole hearts, why would we ever say that? The reality is God wants us to be saints, his people, perfected in his image, and not con- saying yes to Jesus and continue on sinning. That's not what God wants for us. That's not your great, that's not, that's not the, the, the best, man, I keep getting into like Joel Olstein sermon titles when I get, I almost said your best life now. John makes fun of me for saying that. Uh, <laughs> but that's not the person that God intended you to be when you hang on to that. God intends so much more from you. 
And so you might ask, but if that's true, and I'm a Christian, why do I still sin? I mean, that might be a real battle for you. Well, okay, I mentally agree with you that we, we should be seen as saints, but why do I still sin? And I think the answer is real simple. God doesn't violate our free will, right? God doesn't violate that. He respects our choices no matter how wrong they are, right? God respects our choices no matter how wrong they are. That's how much he loves us. He allows us to make dumb decisions. He doesn't step right in and say, oh, let me change that for you. He doesn't violate our free will. He allows us to make mistakes. See, we still sin because we're not disciplined to do otherwise. We don't change our habits. We might change our mind, but we don't change our habits. And if we don't reorganize our lives around Jesus, then our habits will always continue with those old habits, and those need to be done away with. Jesus' death should compel us to live a victorious life. Jesus' death and resurrection, that is. What is the point of following Jesus if he doesn't change you? If he doesn't completely change who you are, what is the point? What is the point of following Jesus if you're not transformed? What's the point of following Jesus if he doesn't fundamentally alter your desires? So I think that I don't know if we'll ever live a completely sin-free life on earth. We'll probably always have some tendency towards that, some little morsels or morsels stuck in our mind of things that aren't pleasing to God because we're not with him fully. But I fully believe you could get to this point in your life In the Wesleyan church, we call this entire sanctification. This point where you just don't want to sin anymore. You just don't want that old junk. You don't want that old stuff. And when you look at your old way of life and it just kind of repulses you versus it excites you. And I want you to see what Romans 6, 11 through 14 says of this. It says, in the same way, don't count yourselves... Um, I'm sorry, in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in, in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself as a sin instrument, instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him with an instrument, as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law, but you are under grace. Three times in four verses, Paul uses the word offer. Three times, four verses, he uses the word offer. Why does he use this word offer? Because it's a choice. It's a choice. It's a choice we make every single day. What are we going to offer ourselves to? Romans 12, it starts out with, Offer yourselves as a living sacrifice. Offer. What does that mean to offer? It means that you have this choice, and, it, and it's sort of this threefold formula. Don't offer yourselves to sin. Offer yourselves to God. Offer yourselves to righteousness. What does it mean in their minds to do righteousness? See, the American way of looking at righteousness versus the first century Jewish way of looking at righteousness is completely different. The American way of righteousness we might say, is thinking the right thoughts. Maybe it's like the right thing. We don't exactly know what that is, but it's, it's maybe just being a right person. Now, the first century Jewish way, it was a two-fold formula. 
that you had to both think the right thoughts and have the right actions. There's no way that you could be a righteous person if you only think the right thoughts or if you only do the right things. There's no way to separate them. And so it says, offer yourself to righteousness. See, when you are a saint, you will have the choice to sin, but you will never choose it. You'll never want to choose it. And this is the next fill-in. Even after putting your confidence in Jesus, sin remains, but we must not allow it to reign. Sin might remain, but we can't allow it to reign. Reigning is what has control, which has power. So there might be some sinful tendencies. There might be some temptations that you might have, but you can't allow that to reign or to be in control. And so as we go forward, rarely do I cite um, Calvin, probably not, not enough because he's got a f- couple really good books. But John Calvin said this, For as long as we remain cooped up in this body, traces of sin will dwell in us. But if we faithfully hold true the promise given to us by God in baptism, they shall not dominate or rule us. This is what Paul is trying to get the point across, is that we can't allow sin to dominate or to rule or to take captive of our own lives. We've got to move forward with that. When the Israelites were being liberated from their prison in Egypt, when they were traveling through the Sinai, many of them wanted to go back because they missed it. They missed prison. I mean, you think the movie Shawshank Redemption, right? Old Red gets out, and what does he do? He commits suicide because he misses prison. You know, there's this long-standing view of we get stuck in our own prisons and we long for it and desire that. So how do we break this? How do we break some of this old sin nature that's kind of like a security blanket to us? How do we begin to break that? See, I don't think God is all about behavior. I think he cares inwardly about us about our inward life and how we feel, how do we react, um, what do we want. Because when he begins to change the inward in us, the outward begins to change as well. So if you have your Bibles, flip with me to Galatians chapter 5. And I wanted to share with you Galatians five seventeen through 18. This is just a great truth and just a great reminder Galatians five seventeen through 18 says this, For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit is what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not, I'm sorry, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. I want to explain what that means for a second. The word flesh here is this Greek word sarax, it means actually living separated or apart from God. And so whenever the Bible talks about like the flesh, don't, the acts of the flesh, whatever that is, it, what it really means is separate from God. Your behavior or your thoughts or your actions separate from God. And so what he's saying here is don't do what is contrary to the Spirit. Don't live in, uh, um, uh, don't live in the flesh, but live under the Spirit. In other words, don't be separated from God. Every time, and you see this all over New Testament literature, this word sarax, this separation. And that's a choice that Paul's trying to tell us. We choose to live in the spirit or in the flesh. 
And if we really want to see transformation happen in our lives, then this separation from God has to go away. And we need to say, how do we daily live unseparated from God or in the Spirit? Another way to say it. What does it mean um, to, to live in the sinful nature? What does it mean to live um, in the Spirit? John Wesley says this, every, every babe in Christ is holy, and yet not altogether so. He is saved from sin, yet not entirely. It remains, although it doesn't reign. We are um, reconciled to God by the blood of the cross, and in that moment, the flesh has no more dominion over us. I love this quote because it plays so nicely with this section of Galatians. So even though we might have some remnants of sin in our lives, we're not controlled by it. Those remnants of sin sometimes seek to control you. And you know this. You, when those anger flares up and the stuff from the past comes to the present, you know what that feels like. And those little morsels of sin, that little brokenness that you used to have, seeks to dominate and control you. But again, I'm, this was a fill-in-the-blank a couple weeks ago, and I just thought it was so important I wanted to do it again. God's deepest desire is to transform you into his likeness. That's one of God's deepest desires is for you to become his child, his son, his daughter, the person who could reign with him in heaven, the person who will walk with him and hear from him. This is one of God's deepest desires is to have you be transformed into his likeness. So the question is, how does God transform us? How do we get to this place of, uh, you know, I'm fumbling around with sin or I, I just have these issues. How do we get past that? And I just want to offer a couple ways. One, God transforms us by being connected to him. God transforms us by being connected to him. You have to hit pause on the Bible app. I know, this happens all the time. Don't worry about it, Ken. Sorry, buddy. Ken is our, uh, it's funny, he was a tech wizard at APU. <laughs> Ken can handle a little bit of harassment from me. <laughs> he deserves it, huh? Thank you. At least from his family members. And he's still back there just trying to listen to the whole thing. He's just really trying to get it together. John 15, 1 through 4 says this. It says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that there will be even more fruit. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. I must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. So about three or four years ago, maybe three years ago now, I shared this analogy about a cell phone and a lamp. And some of you remember that. And actually, I had somebody remind me of that this week. And so I brought my phone with my charger cable because I just want to remind us of John 15. And every time you read John 15, hopefully you'll remember it this way. So we've got um, John, oh, let's see here. Here's a, there we go. Phone's charging now. There it is. It's buzzed at me. This is the way we treat God a lot of times. We plug our phone in. We can say, man, I just got to, I got to recharge my batteries, right? I got to get connected with God. And, and, then, and then we leave. And we're like, okay, I got my batteries charged. I'm good good to go. And then midway through the day, you're like, man, 
<laughs> this thing's going dead, right? Or like halfway through the day, you're like, I need some more batteries. But if you only come once a week, if you only get your battery, I mean, this is why sermons will never fulfill you, ever. Because if you only eat once a week, your batteries are going to die. Rather, and I, the first time I did this analogy, I had a lamp, but this time I'm going to use this microphone. This microphone could only be used for its intended purpose if it's plugged in. See? There it is. If it's plugged in, it's the only way that this thing works. If it's unplugged, it doesn't work. It's completely useless. This may be a paperweight. There's, I mean, it's an expensive paperweight, but it's just a paperweight. Unless this is connected to the vine, unless this is connected to its power source, it does not work as if it's intended to work. This is the same way with our lives. As we follow Jesus, unless we're connected to the vine, unless we're connected to him, we don't work as we're intended to work. We end up with things like, man, saying phrases like, I got to charge my batteries. Oh man, I'm hungry for, for the word of God. We need to build daily disciplines of getting connected to God if we ever want to experience transformation. If we're like, man, why aren't we changing? Why isn't my life different? And you're not daily getting connected with God, I could tell you exactly why. It's because you're getting disconnected from the vine. It's because you're getting completely disconnected. And in that disconnection, in that disconnection, it's so hard to get reconnected. I want to remind us of a couple of truths. This verse says that those who produce fruit will be pruned. Pruning hurts. If you've ever cut up a rose bush, you know you cut that thing back and it's like this little knob of nothing, you know? And you're like, man, that's going to produce something beautiful? Well, yeah, you cut it so that it could produce more. Sometimes our lives are difficult like that, right? Sometimes we need to endure a little bit of cutting. But also, here's the other thing. Sometimes it feels like you're getting pruned and, and life is hurting and you're like, why is God doing this to me? Oh, this is so hard. You are never closer to the gardener's hand. You are never closer to the Father's hand than when you're being pruned. You're never closer. No, it might hurt because you're connected with the vine. It might hurt to, to get pruned in the, in the sense of this verse here, to cut off some of the old stuff. It might hurt, but the, it's a necessary transformation because God wants to use that for you to grow. So God transforms us by being connected to him. And two, God transforms us by accepting our identity in him. This is the big point I've been hitting on throughout the sermon. That if you've said yes to Jesus, you're no longer a sinner, you're a saint. And that God wants you to move forward in that identity. He wants you to die to sin and let that old junk go and move forward with Jesus. I'm going to just rattle off a couple of verses. I don't expect you to flip to them in your Bibles. 1 Corinthians 3.16 Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone and the new is here. Romans 8.15 The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. You were meant, you were intended to house the fullness of God. You were intended to house the fullness of God. 
And the only way that can happen is that he makes you new and transforms you into his likeness, his sons and daughters of himself. You were meant to be this way. So as we begin to wrap up this series, what I want you to see about God is that he's transformative. And there's one really good way of sharing this information with people. Tell your story. If you want people to see a God who is good, a God who is love, a God who is holy, a God who transforms, then you just have to tell your story. Then you just have to say, man, before I met Jesus, I was this way. And now I'm this way. Before I met Jesus, I had this capacity to to hurt other people with what I said. And now I build people up with my language. Before I met Jesus, I, I was gossiping about people. Now if I have something, an issue with somebody, I go talk right to them. Before I met Jesus, I was angry and, and I threw things, and now I'm gentle and respecting. Tell your story. What is, don't, don't lead them through, let me take you all through the Bible here, and you know, this, this Thanksgiving holiday. Don't say, okay, before we eat, we need to read all of the book of John. I mean, don't do that. You're going you're gonna to push people away. Tell people how God has changed you. Tell people how God has changed you. I used to be this way, now I'm this way. And then let them see it. And then let them see it. Show off God with your lives. So as we wrap this series up, I want to invite you, maybe you're here today and you thought, man, this is me. I, I've said yes to Jesus, but I'm disconnected from the vine. I treat Jesus in church exactly the same way as I do my cell phone charger every day. Plug it in unplug. Plug it in, unplug. I want to invite you, as the Bible says, to die to sin. To just say, Jesus, this part of my life is yours. I'm just giving that over to you today. Just giving that over to you. I want to invite you to do that. So as we wrap this up, I just want to invite you to have that surrender moment. And one, and two, maybe you're here and you're like, you know what I need is I need to be more connected to this vine. I want to just invite you, just where you're at, between you and God, just to have a conversation. Lord, I need to be more connected with you. Help me in that. Help me build the desire to pray and read more. Help me build the desire to get more in fellowship with other believers. Help me build the desire to want what you want. Help me, Lord. Maybe that's what you need today. Let's pray. Father God, I fully believe what, you, what Paul said in Romans, Lord, that it is possible to be set free from sin. Lord, I fully believe what, what the Bible has to say and in, in, in what you did. Lord, I, I fully believe that we can no longer be slaves to sin, but slaves to righteousness. God, I believe that you could change the hardest heart and you can make somebody brand new. And God, there's something deep within us. We have this desire to want to be made new, to want something better for our lives, for our kids, to want something better. And we know something greater is out there. And so maybe there's somebody here who's just been thinking that there's something better, there's something greater. And that's you, Jesus. And we simply need to surrender ourselves to you. So, Father, as we sing this next song, I pray that if there's anybody here today who simply needs to lay it all down at your cross, 
and surrender all, that they would begin to do that right here, right now. Jesus, we love you. We honor you. We are thankful for you. And we ask that you continue to move in the midst of this church. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Mm -hmm.